Good to have you back with me for part two of the Boone Helm story, aka the Kentucky Cannibal. Last week we talked about Boone Helm's upbringing in Kentucky, his family moving to Missouri. Uh, we talked about his upbringing and then how Boone ended up heading out west and eating people and murdering lots of people and just getting into a lot of trouble. And today we're going to pick up um, Boone has kind of ended up with this group of guys. They've been traveling together. Uh, winter is coming. It's gotten very cold, very snowy. And so they have to stop at this abandoned hunting cabin. And they're debating whether or not to just hunker down there for the winter. So each morning, Boone would go out and, and check the weather. And if there was ever a break in the harshness, his plan was to move on with or without them, knowing that if they really tried to stay there for the entire winter, of course, they wouldn't make it. Now, as they started running low on their liquor supply, the men started to argue. Things got a little tense. No one was having a good time. Uh, One of the men, a guy named Burton, he kind of saw that it was in his best interest to try to befriend Boonhelm, to kind of buddy up with him. He recognized that Boone was just more accustomed to these conditions and that he probably had a better chance of survival if they stuck together. Well, one day, Boone decided it was time. After the weather had persisted, after they'd run out of food, they needed to eat the horses. And this was kind of the wake-up call to the other men of how dire their situation had become. I mean, they didn't want to eat their horses. Boone also skinned their hides to make snowshoes. And when the horse meat ran out, Boone announced his departure. They all decided their best bet was to stick with him. So they all packed up and prepared to move on. Now, the plan was to go back down south, past Soda Springs, and on to Fort Hall. And if you're asking yourself why they went further north in the winter to begin with, uh, great question. I wondered the same thing. But they were headed back south now, and everything was harder because everything was blanketed with snow, and landmarks were harder to see. So it was easier to get lost, and it was very, very cold. They finally got back to Soda Springs, and at that point, it, it was apparent that this other guy, Burton, was trying to take charge and lead the group, and so Boone was like, okay, that's fine. You guys do whatever you want. I'm going to keep moving. So he sets out to continue on his own, leaving them behind, but that scared the other guys, and they were like, no, 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 wait a minute. We need you. We need you. So they all actually chase after him and keep going with him, even this guy Burton. But now there's a little bad blood between the two, a little ego damage, if you will. But one by one, as Boone and Burton carried on, the stragglers started to fall behind and eventually disappear. The only one who kept up with Boone for the whole trip was Burton. They didn't stop. They didn't sleep. They ate chunks of snow as they went. And then just before they reached the fort, Burton collapsed. And Boone left him there. Boone finally got sight of Fort Hall, only to find it abandoned. Empty, 
no useful supplies except for a little bit of firewood and shelter, of course, but but nothing else. Now, at this point, Burton is still alive. He's lying there in the snow a little ways away from the fort, but he's alive. And all of a sudden, he feels these hands pick him up and start dragging him. And he realizes that Boone Helm has come back for him. And he's so grateful. So Boone drags him the rest of the way to Fort Hall, where there's a fire waiting inside. And then he falls asleep. He kind of wakes up a little later. He's totally relieved to be safe and warm. And he's like, wow, I can't believe this Boone guy saved my life. He's actually a good guy after all. So he falls back asleep. I mean, think about it. They're very tired. They're very hungry. They're exhausted. He falls back asleep. He wakes up a second time. This time, Boone is, quote, looming over him with his bowie knife in hand. Suddenly, all these memories came back of stories he'd heard about Boone Helm when he first met him, including stories of him eating a guy. But up until this day, Burton had thought, surely that was just a rumor. But now he knew better. Burton tried to defend himself, but he was just too weak. Now, if you don't like the gruesome details, uh, you might want to skip ahead about 45 seconds here, but it's, it's not too bad. So Boone just started sawing into this guy's leg, okay? Um, saws his leg clean off, and somehow Burton lives through this. He survives, and um, he does lose consciousness. And when he woke back up, Boone had already eaten and he was offering Burton a plate. And the hunger and the instinct to survive overcame any objection, and he ate. Now, not knowing what Boone's plan was, Burton felt his only chance of survival was to kill Boone. So he, his plan at first is to wait until Boone uh, went out to collect firewood one day, and so he pulled himself over to a gun, But then he found that the gun just had this one single bullet, so he would have to have very good aim. He only had one chance. And then he stopped, and he thought about his options. How am I going to live without Boone? How am I going to get out of here with one leg? Bleeding out, probably infected. His future did not look bright. He decided to turn the gun on himself, instead, and he pulled the trigger. Boone heard the shot from the woods and hurried back to the camp, and he was incredibly disappointed by what he found. See, his plan was that he had to keep Burton alive because he had to keep the meat fresh. He needed it a little at a time, not all at once. Now that Burton was dead, he was useless to Boone. So Boone would have to move on. He took what he could carry of Burton's body, he left the arms and torso behind, and headed for Salt Lake City, all by his lonesome. 
By now, Boonhelm had a pretty good idea of how to survive in the wilderness. He'd done a lot of living off the grid, so the next few months actually went pretty well for him. Before reaching Salt Lake City, he came across an encampment of the Shoshone, and it was a real gamble to approach them. But Boone didn't really have a lot of fear, I don't think. So he did. He approached these people, and it turned out to be a good move. They took him in, fed him, gave him a blanket, and he stayed with them for several days. And then another guy showed up, a trader from Salt Lake City named John B. Powell. By the time Powell showed up, Boone had kind of overstayed his welcome with the Shoshone. Uh, They'd had enough. And so they figured they could introduce these guys and kind of send them on their way. So in exchange for a few extra furs, Powell agreed to take Boone with him. And he was nice to Boone, shared his whiskey with him, tried to have conversations with him. But Boone didn't really want to talk. He'd been through a lot, and he knew he probably didn't need to be telling stories about his recent past. So they uh, they get into town, and, and um, they part ways. And Boone actually lets this guy live, which is a very rare gift when you cross paths with Boone Helm. So, Salt Lake City. Lots of Mormons trying to build their utopia. uh, Unbothered, able to govern themselves and do whatever they wanted. But then, the discovery of, quote, rich veins of silver beneath their promised land made things a little more complicated. So instead of allowing the Mormons to just outright own all of this land, they decided it needed to be auctioned off to anyone who wanted it. Now, as you can imagine, the Mormons were not thrilled with this decision, so there was some tension. Suddenly, strangers were moving in from all over, and these were not Mormons. They were people gambling, drinking, doing all sorts of seedy stuff. Uh, but Mormons were passive, you know, they didn't, they didn't get into fights. So when Boone Helm shows up, at first it seems like a problem. Right off the bat, Boone got into a bar fight. But instead of going to jail, he ended up locked in a prominent Mormon's basement. For him, it was a breeze, right, compared to what he'd just been through, because in that basement he had heat, he had meals, and he had a bed. It was a pretty good gig, all things considered. They had no idea that this, like, punishment was actually a gift. And then they realized that they might be able to put this guy to work, given what they knew about him and his reputation. See, the Mormons needed a hitman, basically. So about a week into his stay, after they'd gotten him good and drunk, they gave him his assignment. There were these two guys, two miners, who were really making trouble in Salt Lake City. They both thought they were the baddest, toughest men around. And the Mormons hoped that Boone could kind of put them in their place. And Boone didn't take much convincing. He went after his first victim, the first miner, while the guy was drunk, peeing on the side of a trading post. He placed his pistol against the nape of this guy's neck and shot him. 
The second victim ran into Boone on the street and immediately fled in the opposite direction, but it was too late. Boone shot him dead, too. There was a problem, though. The Mormons assumed, (laughs) wrongly, that Boone would be more discreet about the murders, that he wouldn't just go out and kill these guys in the middle of town. So they couldn't let him stick around or they'd have to arrest him. So they gave him the agreed-upon sum of money and sent him packing. After that, we don't know where Boone was. Uh, He kind of goes off the grid for a while, back into the wilderness. But we do know that it's during this time that Boone must have gotten hooked up with a militia who fought against Native Americans. Because he reappears sometime later in Colorado, and he's actually in this militia. And now he's started to, quote, cultivate the racist Confederate ideals that he'd later be known for espousing. As if you needed another reason to like this guy any less. Uh, Things get a little dark here, so skip ahead 30 seconds and I'm not going to go into detail, but um, let's just say this whole crowd of guys that he gets caught up with in this militia, they were really bad, really bad. But he became the worst of the worst. He did some terrible things, especially to Native American women. It got so bad that even the guys in this militia were like, you know, maybe it's time for us to part ways and you go back to doing your own thing. So he leaves this group with one other guy who I guess decided he liked how bad Boone was. So they take off in the direction of Caribou, where they'd heard there was plenty of gold to be mined, which for them meant stolen. Uh, Specifically, gold dust, which was perfect to Boone because it was easy to steal but worth a lot of money to traders. So they reached a little town called Antler Creek, about 10 miles from Barkerville. They met two miners, W.T. Collinson and Irish Tommy. These two guys were just uh, passing through Antler Creek after spending the summer uh, hard at work mining gold, and they each had with them hundreds of dollars worth of dust. So after passing through this little town, they met up with two other guys and decided they should all travel together, safer that way. When I say they, I mean Collinson and Irish Tommy. Now they're traveling with two other guys, okay? So these four are together for a while, but then the two other guys they meet on the way stop for the night. And Collinson and Irish Tommy are like, you know, we want to get a little further before setting up camp. So they keep going. And unbeknownst to them, the two other guys are murdered by Boone and his new friend shortly after parting ways with them. And these other two guys actually ended up having an even bigger stash than Collinson and Irish Tommy. And so after they're killed, Boone and his friend bury their treasure so that they can come back for it. And they pass right by Collinson and Tommy, whose camp must have been pretty well hidden. And so after that, Boone and his friend make their way to a bunking cabin at Kesnell Forks. Okay. And then the next morning, Collinson and Irish Tommy make their way into the same little town, and they have breakfast. And then they see 
their acquaintances, these two other guys from the day before, being hauled in on stretchers. And a little while later, a guy rode into town to warn everybody that the now notorious Boone Helm had been spotted in the area and that everybody needed to keep their eyes peeled and be cautious. And he gave them a description and informed everyone of the $700 bounty, which was a lot of money. But this guy was too late because Boone and his buddy had already slipped out of town when they saw the bodies being hauled in. So they're already gone. And of course, Irish Tommy and Collinsworth, they're in the middle of a journey, so they have to keep going too. But now they're a little bit spooked because they know that Boone Helm is out there and that he's murdering men for their gold dust. But the further away they got from that town, uh, the more they started to feel they could relax. They'd put some distance between themselves and wherever Boone probably was. You know, it was a big world. But that was not the case. Suddenly, they heard a voice from behind yell, Throw up your hands! Boone's sidekick disarmed the two men while Boone dug through their belongings. Collinson had hidden his gold dust very carefully, and they didn't find it. But they did take their weapons and ammunition, and then Boone said, Get, and don't look back! And so for whatever reason, Irish Tommy and W.T. Collinson's lives were spared. After that, Boone Helm spent some more time in Canada. And while in Canada, Boone starts to think, you know, I really don't love sharing all my treasures with this guy that's like latched on to me here. I probably need to get rid of him. They go to Victoria, they drink, they play cards, and at the end of the night, Boone informs the barkeep that he would not be paying his tab. And so they send a boy to get the police, and Sergeant Blake shows up, and he arrests Boone Helm. And Sergeant Blake knew who Boone Helm was, okay? His reputation preceded him. And he knew that he was a very bad apple. Now, legally, they could hold him for three days before filing charges or letting him go. So, Sergeant Blake spent those three days sending letters to all the various police departments all over saying, hey, I've got this guy in custody. Help me charge him with some crimes. We don't want this guy out and about anymore. Now, Boone got a good attorney, but it turns out he had lied about having the money to pay him. Somehow, Boone had blown all the the money he had. And so when it came time to pay his bail which would have allowed him to walk free and escape out of Victoria. Not only could he not pay that bail, turns out he couldn't even pay the lawyer that negotiated such a lenient sentence on his behalf. So instead, Boone was sentenced to a month on a chain gang doing hard labor in Victoria. Now, a month, right? This gave Blake four weeks to hear back, hopefully, from other police and other towns where he knew Boone had done worse things, like murder. Three days after his month was up, an extradition request finally came across the border. Three days after all of Boone's weapons and belongings had been handed back to him. 
Now, by this time, Boone's old partner had actually passed away from health complications, but while doing hard time, Boone had made a new friend, a guy who went by the name of Dirty Harris. So Boone Helm and Dirty Harris left Victoria and Sergeant Blake's jurisdiction as soon as possible after their release. Now, it turned out that Dirty Harris worked on trains, and so they would travel by train once they were free, heading back towards Antler Creek, where Boone knew that that gold they had stolen was still buried on a trail. On the way back to Antler Creek, and we're in the spring of 1863 now, for the record, on the way to Antler Creek, they just happened to run into W.T. Collinson, one of the guys Boone had robbed. This was in a town called Sumas, and Collinson had been there for a while, so he had friends there. And when they ran into each other, Collinson was surrounded by these guys, so Boone couldn't just kill him. He was totally outnumbered. So Boone and Dirty Harris turn around and hightail it out of there, and Collinson takes off to a nearby fort, where he gives a report and says, you all have to send troops after this guy right away. He is a menace to society. So now this whole little army of men who are well-trained for this sort of thing are hot on Boonhelm's trail. And they looked for him, and they looked for him, and a month goes by. And just as they were about to give up the search, they found him. Now, he'd been on the run again for a month, so again, he was tired, he was weak, and he was hungry. Now, they knew that Boone had been traveling with another man, so they asked him where he was. And he said, oh no, he's gone. I had to eat him. At first, they thought this was some sort of sick joke, right? But then they started comparing notes on the stories about this guy and realized he was 100% serious. Now, an American named Mr. Brandian was sent to retrieve Boone to bring him back to the States to stand trial. During their journey, Mr. Brandian would bribe Boone with cigarettes and alcohol in exchange for stories about his experiences out in the wilderness. Boone was then handed off to a local sheriff, then straight to the prison warden at Port Townsend. Mr. Brandian told the police at the prison that they needed to keep a special eye on Boone Helm. But it was a very crowded prison, and within a few days, Boone was able to secure himself a knife and a trowel. The latter he used to start digging at the dirt floor of his cell. And he escaped. And no one noticed for three days. He left a, a pile of rags on the bed, and no one thought to even go move them for 72 hours. So old-timey versions of an APB were put out all over the Pacific Northwest. They've got to find this guy. Boone quickly made it down to California, where no one had yet heard of his escape. But Boone didn't know California. He wasn't familiar with the lay of the land, and he could feel the authorities closing in on him. He spent some time sneaking through farmland on the outskirts of San Francisco, 
He met a rancher who took a liking to him and gave him shelter, and he ended up staying there for weeks, even after telling the rancher all his terrible stories. They drank whiskey together and played cards. They were getting along great, and some time passed, and then once Boone felt like the search to find him had kind of been abandoned, he decided it was time to move on. And instead of just, you know, expressing his gratitude and leaving, he creeps into this rancher's bedroom while he's asleep and shoots him. Such a bummer. Uh, Then Boone stole anything of value in the home and took off on one of the rancher's horses. He decided to go back to Oregon, where he knew his way around, where he could still live somewhat comfortably off the grid. But he was wrong. Things had changed big time in the few years since he'd been in Oregon. There were so many more people. I mean, towns had grown exponentially, so roads had changed, and back roads weren't really back roads anymore. And this is where we bring our story full circle, because if you'll remember, we started with the story about Boone shooting a man in Oregon. Okay, so this group of wealthier men had gotten to Boone before the police did, and they took him down in their basement and got him drunk and said, we need you to take care of this guy for us, Dutch Fred. He's a real problem for us, and we'll reward you handsomely. Very similar situation as with the Mormons. And remember I told you about how Boone went into the the saloon and shot this guy. But that's where I ended that story. So here's what happens next. Okay, Boone goes into the bar, he shoots Dutch Fred, kills him, everyone is silent in the bar, because things like this just don't really happen in this little town of Florence, Oregon. And after he's done this killing, he goes back to the place where these men were, who told him to do this, and they won't come out, and they claim that they don't know this Boone Helm guy, and that he needs to just, you know, go away, get out of here, crazy guy. Now, obviously, Boone is very upset at this point. He's like, I just did this job for you. I desperately need the money. Come out here and pay me. So he's causing a scene, and the local sheriff shows up. So Boone takes off back into the wilderness. Once again, he heads for the Canadian border. This time, he doesn't make it. He stopped just before the border by a pack of bounty hunters who retrieve him and deliver him to the Portland jail, where he stays until his transport back to Florence to stand trial for the murder of Dutch Fred. But justice moved slowly, and so for six months, he sat in isolation at that prison in Portland. And after that, after six months, He was just the shell of a man, totally defeated, tired, beaten down, just done. And then something crazy happened. They couldn't get a single witness to testify in this case. No one would step up and admit they saw him murder Dutch Fred in that saloon. And the case fell apart. And Boone Helm was once again a free man. His brother, Old Tex, was waiting for him when he was released. See, during those months of isolation, Boone had been writing letters, 
working on figuring out how to track down his oldest and richest brother, Tex. Turns out, Tex had been in Florence a month before Boone's trial, paying off, coaching, and intimidating everyone in town who may have witnessed the murder. So he, he picks up Boone, he gets him out of Florence, and Tex tells his brother that the way he sees it, he's got two options, right? One is to just keep doing what he's doing, be a bad guy, probably wind up somewhere terrible, maybe dead. Or cut it out right now, switch gears, and be a good person. The course of hope and prosperity. Tex said, if you want to, I'll get you in the Confederate Army. You'd be a great soldier. And hey, you love that guy Jefferson Davis, don't you? Well, you can go hang out with him if you enlist. Or, Tex said, you can come back with me to Texas, and I'll get you a job as a miner for a mineral company. I'll even give you a share in the company. You'll be comfortable. You'll retire in luxury with your sordid past far behind you. Now, one might think these are great opportunities, that Boone would jump at them. But that's not what happened. Boone told his brother Tex that he needed to think about it. So they kept traveling. They made it to Idaho. They set up camp. And while Tex was asleep, Boone made a run for it. He didn't steal anything except the one horse to get away. And he left his brother. In the following months, Boone would go on to murder at least six more men and rob another half dozen. And then he went to Montana, where there was a group called the Innocence Gang. They were pretty much in charge. They were more powerful than the police, so they did whatever they wanted. Their headquarters was a place called Rattlesnake Ranch. And so they did, their methods were very similar to Boone's. They would go out and spy on miners during the day, watch um, where they came from and where they went after work, and then they would rob them on the way home. They robbed and murdered a lot of people. And this group, the Innocents, they knew when Boone entered their territory. They were aware of his arrival. And they weren't really thrilled about it because they knew he was going to try to cut in on their business. So they caught him, and they took him to their safe house where the higher-ups would decide what to do with him. The sheriff, the town sheriff, actually met them on the way to the safe house and rode in with them. Um, and the man in charge was late. So in the meantime, Boone got very drunk. And to a point where he'd forgotten all about the presence of the sheriff, uh, Sheriff Plummer, and he just let himself get really sloppy. And so all the guys sitting around with them started asking him to tell his stories. And so he just opened up and started talking about all his debauchery and all his crimes. And Boone was inebriated, okay? And when he woke up the next morning, he found himself in an unlocked jail cell in the sheriff's office. And then he put two and two together, and he realized that the man in charge of both the local police force and the innocence gang was Sheriff Plummer. And Plummer did, in fact, extend an invitation to Boone to be his employee. And Boone accepted. 
And so he started robbing and murdering people as a member of the Innocence Gang, led by Sheriff Plummer. And he loved it. He was having a good old time. He was making friends. He was climbing the ranks in the gang. But there was a problem, okay? The miners were tired of the law not protecting them from these bandits. And so they decided to form their own group, the Vigilance Committee. And they started kind of probing the Innocence Gang and figuring out who the members were and then reporting them to other nearby law enforcement agencies. And so one by one, members of the Innocence had to get out of town. And then finally, they, they started to be able to really go after the inner circle of the Innocence. So on January 10th, 1864, Sheriff Plummer was captured and thrown into a cell in his own office to await trial. And four days later, Boone was arrested at a bar, and he was brought to trial the next day. Now, they did this quickly, so a handful of these men were put on trial back-to-back in a matter of just a few days, and they were all found guilty. Even though Boone had, had really tried to put all the blame on a guy named Three Finger Jack, um, so Jack was put to death very quickly, um, and 3,000 people showed up for his execution. And even though Boone Helm tried to shift all the blame to the others, including a guy by the name of Zachary, he was found guilty too, and he was also sentenced to death. Apparently, his last words were, quote, Every man for his principles, hurrah for Jeff Davis, let her rip. That's really charming. Um, and then, quote, he leapt from the box with enough force that the fall snapped his neck. On the backswing, his dead body hit first the man who meant to kill him, then knocked Zachary from his perch on the box, condemning him to a slow strangling death to boot. Even in death, Boone rained destruction down all around him. Boone was buried in Boot Hill Cemetery. Uh, Apparently you can still go visit. Sheriff Plummer was also hanged shortly after Boone, paving the way for the Innocence Gang to be permanently disbanded. And that's all I've got for you. That is the story of cannibal serial killer and Kentucky native Boone Helm. you all found that story interesting. Uh, Once again, all this information is from the book The Kentucky Cannibal by Ryan Green. I'm sure some of the thoughts and feelings and and things uh, were maybe a little bit embellished, but but the facts where he was and what he did for the most part I think were accurate. Um, I didn't just do this story because it's, you know, a gruesome cannibal story. I like that it's it's kind of a period piece and it kind of is a reminder of just how wild the West was. And going going West from a place like Kentucky or Missouri, you were stepping into the unknown and there wasn't a lot of law and order. And it's that's such an interesting thing to kind of study and research. And um, yeah. So I'm rambling now, but uh, thank you guys for listening. I hope you had a great holiday season, and I hope you have a very happy new year. 
Uh, as always, if you have any topic suggestions, because um, I had so many people write into me about this guy, uh, send them to me. I love to hear the suggestions. KYHistoryHaunts at gmail.com. All right, take care, and until next time. <laughs>